going to continue our study here in Paul's letter, first letter to Timothy, entitled Be Strong in Grace. And this morning uh, is part 32, entitled Family Matters. Family Matters. And we'll be looking at 1 Timothy 5, verses 3 through 16. That is not a typo. Verses 3 through 16. We're going to set a world record here this morning in covering a New Testament passage. We originally were going to do this in two parts, and when Jay and I, as he mentioned to you, we get together on, on Tuesdays when we're together. As we've been looking at talk about it, I, I, yes, I think we could, I could do this all in one setting because of what it addresses, and I think you'll see that when we get to it uh, today. So we're, this is going to be um, a new, at least a, a new record for 2022 uh, here at the Potter's House, covering that many verses. But before we review, we do that and look at those verses, and I do encourage you, if you have a copy of God's Word, that you turn there and be ready to roll. And I encourage you this, hey, technology. Uh, I've been reminded here in the last 24 hours about technology and, and how it can fail us. Um, what happens if the PowerPoint goes out and I can't point to you and have you look at the verses that we're looking at? If you don't have a copy of God's Word, that you're, you're at the mercy of me telling you. Hopefully you believe that I'm going to tell you the truth, and I am going to tell you the truth, but... Just having a copy of God's Word is so important. So you can look at that and follow along and be a Berean and search the Scriptures daily or search the Scriptures this morning with me to see if this is what God really says. All right, just an encouragement. So turn there if you have one. But uh, we want to review first. Um, and, and before we review what Jay had to say about uh, um, the verses he covered last week, which is the first two verses in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, um, I want to say something uh, about... Um, something that Jay and I have said over the last several weeks, and he reminded us of again last week. Um, uh, and specifically, we, we said it a lot during covering chapter 4. You most likely heard Jay and I say multiple times that when it comes to allowing God's Word to have maximum impact in our lives, cause maximum growth, growth we must have a plan. Yes, we must have a plan. Now, did, did, did anyone happen to hear us say that? like 173 times, if you were counting. I don't know how many, but a lot, right? We must have a plan. And, and we emphasize the importance of a plan consisting of reading and studying and memorizing and meditating and sharing God's Word with other people. And, and I want to emphasize again that we, we all need, need a plan, and I hope that you have a plan and you're implementing that plan in your own life. That, that, that's our hope. That's our prayer. Because that's the only way it's the way that God has designed it, that we're going to grow and be made more like Jesus. He says we're going to do that through his word. We're going to be made more like Jesus. In, in John 17, 17, Jesus praying to the Father says, Lord, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify, to be made holy, to be set apart. If we're going to be made holy and set apart and be more like Jesus, it's going to be through his word. So I hope you have a plan. I hope you're putting it into plan. Now, Jay emphasized last week one particular part of that, and it was the sharing God's word with others. And in emphasizing it, Jay said something last week. He said a lot of things last week that were worth repeating, but this particularly, this is what stood out to me in, in his review and getting actually to the part that he taught on. Jay made the following statement. Understanding happens when we study God's word, Growth happens when we share God's word. Let me say that again. Understanding happens when we study God's word. Growth happens when we share God's word. That is so important. And I hope you're taking time to share God's word with others. 
getting together with others, sharing with them what God is teaching you through his word so they're encouraged and edified, and you're sharpened even more by sharing it with someone else. Uh, so with that said, just, a, just another encouragement. Have a plan, and part of that plan needs to be sharing it with others. So this week, find some time to share God's word with others. We'll, we'll, now let's briefly turn our attention to the summary of what Jay taught on last week as far as it goes with 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2. Jay reminded us that, that as sweet as it, it is to be part of the body of Christ, there are some times that aren't so sweet when it comes to being part of the body of Christ. Now you remember him saying that. That happens when we get wind of something that, that is being taught by someone in the church that's false. And, and, and that happens. So how do we confront that false teaching. The question is that not do we confront it. Did you hear me say that? The question is not do we confront it. We must confront it. The question is how do we do it? How do we approach that person? What is our attitude when we approach that person? Well, Jay set up our passage in, in 1 Timothy 5 by telling a story of Paul calling the Ephesian elders to meet him in Miletus when he was on his missionary journeys to come and meet him. All right, and We find that in Acts chapter 20. And in Paul's meeting with the Ephesian elders, and remember why this is so important, that when Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, Timothy's in Ephesus. Paul spent three years in Ephesus teaching and ministering and setting up the church in Ephesus. All right, So it relates because now he's calling these very same elders from the church of Ephesus to come and meet with him. These are the same elders that Timothy would have been dealing with when Paul writes First Timothy to him, right? So he calls them, and he warned them. Part of the thing he did is he warned them there would be wolves that would come in, savage wolves is what it says, savage wolves that will come in to the body and teach false things. They will teach heresy, things that are against the gospel. And, and, and that's bad. But then he went on the very next sentence and said, and even some among you will rise up and lead people astray. That's what he told him when he brought them together. And then Jay reminded us that Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus to set in order the church at Ephesus by training teachers to lead the church. Timothy not only needed to train the them to teach, but he needed to make sure he was teaching them to teach the truth. Not just teach, but to teach the truth. Jay then reminded us that back in 1 Timothy 1.3, Paul had told Timothy to stay in Ephesus so he could command certain people not to teach false doctrine. That's part of the reason he left Timothy there at Ephesus, to command certain people not to teach false doctrine. And at the beginning of, of chapter 4 here in 1 Timothy, if you remember us looking at that, Paul reminded Timothy that this false teaching had indeed crept into the body now. It was there. Just like he had promised it had happened in Acts 20, just like here at the beginning of his letter, and said, hey, I've put you here to command people not to teach false doctrine. Guess what? It's here. It's in the church already. Therefore, Timothy would need to confront the, those who were teaching things that were false. These teachers had, to be, had been influenced by those who had never truly believed the gospel. We talked about this with apostates. People who intellectually had said, yes, I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that Jesus rose again on the third day and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. I, I believe intellectually, but they never embraced that as their own. They never trusted what Jesus did on their behalf. They intellectually ascended to the truth, but never, it never reached their heart. 
And these people were now in there teaching false doctrine. And now these teacher, t- teachers who had been influenced by those people, right, had been getting to be- veer off what the gospel was. And the, the greatest lie, the greatest falsehood that can creep into the church is when it has to do with the gospel. When people get the gospel wrong, right? This, this had to be confronted. The gospel was at stake. And Jay let us know if someone distorts the gospel, then that person would not be welcomed in his home for milk and cookies. You remember saying that? And let me say, along with Jay, if someone distorts the gospel, that person would not be welcomed in my home for milk and cookies either. Why? It sounds pretty hard, doesn't it? Here's why. When you distort the gospel, it's not the difference between life and death. It's the difference between eternal life and eternal death. We're not talking about a minor point, as Jay brought up, you know, whether it's speaking tongues and when the rapture is going to happen and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's, th- th- those things are not the issue. The issue is the gospel. And when someone is distorting the gospel and calling the gospel into question, the good news that God, who created this universe, who calls us into a relationship with him, calls us to make much of him, to be holy, and yet mankind has refused to do that. We're born like this. We sin. We don't make much of God. We make much of ourselves. So we're separated from God, and here's the good news, here's the gospel, and God sent his very own son to die in our place, to pay for the sin and the penalty of our sin that we deserved, that we might be right, made right with him. God sent his son to die in our place. That's the good news. That's the good news. And by simply trusting on, in what he did on our behalf, we are made right with God. That's the good news. And anything added to that is heresy. It's false. It's not good news. If it's trust in Jesus and, I don't want any part of that. And God doesn't want any part, because that's not good news at all. If I have to do something to have God love me and to have God accept me, to make myself right with God, that is not good news. Because what does it do I have to do? Because you ask about a thousand false teachers, they've all got their deal about what you need to do. See, this is serious business. And, and when the gospel is at stake, everything's at stake. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Add anything to that, it's not, the, it's not good news anymore. It's not what the Bible teaches. And that's, that's why Jay said, hey, uh, you, hey, we can disagree on lots of things, but we can't disagree on that, and that has to be addressed, that that's happening. And it was happening in the life of the church at Ephesus, and it had to be addressed. If it happens here at the potter's house, it has to be addressed. Because the gospel at stake, eternal life and eternal death are at stake. And when people are led astray by false teachers when it comes to the gospel, they, they need to be confronted. They, they need and, and, as shown, and they need to be shown their error from God's word and then brought back to the truth. Paul exhorted Timothy in chapter 4 to warn people about false teachers. And then Paul exhorted Timothy to confront false teachers. So how do we do this? Violently? We just take them out? Like the Crusades? No. Passively, where we don't say anything? No. It's got to be done. And how do we do this? Well, we were reminded from our passage last week in 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to younger men as brothers, the older men as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Timothy was to confront these people who were being led, led away by, astray by false teachers with respect. 
with respect. Why? Because they've been created in the image of God and deserve to be respected just because of that. We, we, all people need to deserve to be respected because they've been created in the image of God. So he says, you, you respect them. Look, it says, older men appeal to them as a father. Doesn't mean don't say anything when the, the gospel is at stake. You've got to say, but appeal to them as a father. And he talks about younger, younger men as brothers, older women as, women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. And, and Jay made a statement near the end about the, the, the church after we, we talked about how we, we, we confront that. We do it in love and with respect, but we have to confront. All right? And Jay made this statement near the end of our time. He said, there is nothing that works like the church when the church works. And then he made another statement. There's nothing that works like the family when the family works. And ultimately, the church is a family, and the people in that family should be treated with love and respect, even when we disagree. And we have to confront. We have to bring something difficult up. And that's not always the sweetest time about being part of the body of Christ, but it is a sweet time. Think about your own family. If you've ever worked through conflict and you get on the other side of conflict, how sweet is that? I think of, I work with football teams and sometimes they, they call themselves a family. And to watch, help coaches work with their, their, their student athletes through conflict and what happens, they're stronger on the other side. It's a lot more beautiful on this other side when you've worked through conflict. And that's the same thing with the church in a greater way than the church. If people in our church family are being led astray, then we need to treat them with respect and bring them back to God's word. And if this is what happens in our church, it's going to result in that one true gospel being preserved and taught to our children and grandchildren. So it'll still be here when they're here and we're gone. With that in view, review, it's time uh, to turn our attention to our passage for this morning. So if you would stand with me, and it is a longer passage, so bear with me as we read down through this passage. And I will take my time reading and um, encourage you to read along with me. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. Oh, I'm sorry, but, but she who, yeah, well, let me read verse 6 because I left that one off, all right? But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Now verse 7 with me. Prescribe these things as well so that you may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation of good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, oh, I'm sorry, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation, because they have set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle, 
as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no equation for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the fact that all your word um, is divinely given by you and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, Lord. And, and that's this passage too, Lord. I pray you would use it in all those ways in our lives for your glory, Lord, with your mercy to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Before we dive in and look at this passage um, and what, what it's teaching in more detail, let me make a few introductory statements. If you remember from a few minutes ago, I gave this morning's teaching on this passage of Scripture the title, Family Matters. Family Matters. And I thought about the title before that, All in the Family. Some of you laughed because it may have caused you to think about a TV show from the 70s. And I couldn't bear for you to have Archie Bunker in your mind. So I didn't call it all in the family, and I instead called it Family Matters. And then I realized that in doing so, I ran the risk of some of you recalling a popular sitcom that ran from 1989 to 1997 called Family Matters with a star character called Urkel. All right? So, if you have that in your head, please get that out of your head. Archie Bunker and Urkel, we're not talking about either one of those this morning. Not all in the family or family matters. I gave it this title to remind us, just as Jay mentioned last week, that the Bible teaches and often refers to the church as a family. You read, not just in the New Testament, even the Old Testament, you read what, we, what I call familial language. Language that has to do with a family all through God's word. So I gave it the title, Family Matters. Now, now the title reminds us of two things. The pa this passage of scripture teaches that family matters. And this passage of scripture is about family matters. Did you catch the play on words there? This passage teaches that family matters. And this passage teaches about family matters. Well, for some of us who used to play linebacker, we're hitting the head a little bit. Let me, uh, too much, let me explain that a little bit more. The word matters can mean a couple different things. It can be something of importance, something that has significance. Family matters. Or it can be an affair or situation under construction, a topic. All right, there are family matters to be discussed. All right, and both of those are true about this passage. Family matters. And there are some family matters that Paul wants to address with Timothy. So that's why I named it this. It had nothing to do with any TV show. All right. So no doubt family is important, and this passage is going to deal with that. And when, when I say family, I mean both biological family and the church family. And we're going to see Paul allude to that here in our passage this morning. So let me adjust one more thing before we examine verses 3 through 16. As we read this passage of Scripture together, 
you could obviously tell that Paul was addressing widows and how they were to be cared for in the church at Ephesus, right? I mean, it's, it's all about, you read through this, it's about widows. And you think, why the fuss about widows? I mean, look how much space he gave. I don't know how long in your Bible. I may have to turn the page to get to the rest of it in mind. Why all the fuss about widows? Paul gave a lot of attention to this issue with widows that was going on in the church of Ephesus. Well, there's two reasons. First of all, and most important, God cares about widows. God cares. If you've read your Bible at all, you would see that God cares about widows. Let's go all the way back uh, in, in the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible, Deuteronomy 10.18. Look what it says. He executes justice for the follow, fatherless and the widow and loves the so, sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Look, he executes justice for the fatherless, so that would be orphans, and the widow. Now listen, listen to what it says in Psalm, um, and this just says a lot about the heart of God when it comes to widows. He's the father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. He's the protector of widows. And then, it's not just the Old Testament, how about the New Testament? James 1, 27, it says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus who writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, all right, that, that God cares about widows. Back in Acts chapter 6, which we alluded to a few times in the past year, all right, Acts chapter 6, there's an issue early on in the early church, and the issue is that some of the widows were not being fed their daily food that they needed to have just to sustain themselves. So that was brought up, all right, and they came up with a solution to make sure that all the widows got the food that they needed for each day. There was a problem, and it had to do with the widows. Because widows, God cares about widows. He does. He has a special place for widows. Now, remember back in 1 Timothy 4, we, we, were, we were asked or encouraged by Paul through Timothy to train ourselves or discipline ourselves for godliness. And caring for widows is a practical outworking of godliness. What God's people do. That's what we do. We, we care for widows. And we'll, we'll talk about exactly what widows are here in a second. Obviously, they've lost their husband to, to death, um, but more than that. Um, so again, why all the care for widow? Why all the fuss about caring for widows? First of all, God cares about widows, and therefore we as people should care about widows. Secondly, caring for widows needs some correction in Ephesus. So he brings this up because it's part of God's plan, that, because, and God cares for widows. There's also some correction that needs to be uh, had in the church of Ephesus about how they were caring for widows. And in regard to this reason, let me, let me make another comment in way of introduction to this passage. I don't believe we're to take this passage and lift it out and its specific things it mentions in this passage and bring all of that in and say, okay, this is our manual exactly as it's written for our church. I don't believe that. And I think you'll see that here in a second. I'll point that out. That's not what this is trying to say, that all the specifics of this passage are meant to apply to our church today. All right? Now, there are timeless truths that we need to take from this and apply to widows today, but all the exactly specifics, that's not what was meant here. There's some issues going on that need to be addressed specifically. I don't think any of those issues are going on in our church 
Um, we're going to learn from them, but there's some timeless truths, all right, and uh, that we can apply to our church. So we're not going to just take it and say word for word, this is exactly our manual on how to deal with widows, and you'll see why here in a second. So let's now look at these verses a little more closely, and as we examine these verses this morning um, uh, as a church, all right, we're going to be exhorted as a church to at least three things. I'm going to go ahead and give you those three, three things. We are called to honor widows. All right, we are called to honor widows, number one. Number two, we are called to help families honor their widows. And number three, we are called to wisely honor widows. All right, number one, we are called to honor widows. Number two, we are called to help families honor their widows. And number three, we are called to wisely honor widows. Look with me at verse three. It says, honor widows who are widows indeed. Here we see clearly we're called to honor widows. We as the family of God here are called to honor widows. All right, so what does it mean to honor widows? So the word honor, and like many words, like most words, has a range of meanings, okay? And um, and words have meaning in context. So we picked, if you looked up a, a word in the, in the dictionary, it would say it would say the word, and then it would say number one, and have a definition, right? Just like we would look at the word family matters. The word matter can have different definitions. The context dictates that. Context will dictate this here as well. So, and it could sometimes have a, have a combination of multiple meanings as you see throughout scripture. This is why we always gotta be careful. This is just a side note, this is not my notes. This is dangerous, you can lose half your notes. You get off your notes, now you're in trouble. But just as a side note, when we do word studies in the Bible, be very careful. Just because a word means this over here doesn't mean it means it over here. And that just is the same in any language. You can't take a word just because it means it, it has to mean it. No, 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 no. The context would dictate the meaning. But sometimes there is a combination of meanings. Right? And I think that's the case here. The word honor widows, the word honor can mean to show respect. I think most of us would think about that, show respect. But in context, it's more than that here. Honor carries the idea of financial support. Where do I get that? Financial support. Well, we're going to see from the passage, just this context, but even later, next week when Jay deals with the next passage, in, uh, in, in a couple weeks when Jay deals with the next passage, actually um, in verse 17 it says, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And you're going to see that he's going to make some quotes from the Old Testament. He's talking about financially taking care of those elders, particular elders. And so the word honor here, in the same context here in Timothy, has the idea of financial support for these widows. This call to honor widows should also cause us to recall something else, a principle that God laid out early on in his relationship with his people, the nation of Israel, all right? And that's the fifth commandment. What? Honor your father and mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. This is repeated in the New Testament, so a lot of well, that's the Old Testament, that's the Ten Commandments. Uh, well, the Ten Commandments are all repeated except for one in the New Testament. We could argue the tenth one as well. Uh, um, the Sabbath, keep, keep the, day, the Sabbath day holy, that's argued. What, we could say all ten of them are, 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 are repeated in the New Testament for sure. We would maybe say nine are called for us to follow, continue to follow today. Maybe you would say ten. Um, but we know this one's there, and we're called to honor our father and mother. It's the only commandment we learn with a promise. Right? So this idea of honoring widows would not be, what in the world is he talking about? That, yeah, okay, yeah, honor widows because they're our mother. 
then we should honor them. It's a part of what God has called us to do in, 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 as people who know him. I mean, make this clear. Keeping this fifth commandment does not make you right with God. Keeping the first commandment doesn't make you right with God. Keeping all ten of them doesn't make you right with God. Keeping the 613, which they summarize, doesn't make you right with God. Now, you may keep them because you are right with God. See the difference? You don't keep them to be made right with God. We keep them, we do them because we are right with God. It's a thing that overflows from people who have a new heart. So, so the first thing we clearly see from this passage, we're called to honor widows by supporting them financially. All right? And that means us here at the Potter's House of Canaan. We're called to honor widows by supporting them financially. All right, now look with me in verse 4. All right. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of God. Here we see clearly the second thing we as a church are exhorted to do concerning widows. We are called to help families honor their widows. We are called to help families honor their widows. Here we see, we, we see the, the, the family matters in both senses. We, the, the church family, are called to help families, biological, physical families, all right, to honor their widows. Paul exhorts Timothy to help the spiritual family, the church, all right, help them, help the physical families to understand their responsibility to honor the widows in their physical families. He says by doing this, they are practicing piety. Or some of your translations may say, practicing godliness, which goes back to chapter 4 when we are training for godliness. See how he ties this in? We're to train for godliness, and, this, and when we do this, we are practicing godliness. And he also, next he says in this verse, by doing this, they are making a return or repaying their parents for all the care their parents have provided them. Now, I, I think about this, and I'm not sure I could ever repay my parents for all they provided me in all my years. I don't know if I could ever do that. But I am kind of thinking like, I've got six children. And, no, I'm kidding. And that's not the point of this. That a lot, you go, well, yeah, look how much I paid. We're not keeping a record and say, okay, all my six kids, see all that we paid for growing up, all those football stuff and all this toys and all you, the food we paid for you and all those kind of things. That's not what it means. It's just a natural thing. If someone's taking care of you, all right, if, it, it, you're, you're, then, then you would want to turn around and take care of that person when they can no longer take care of themselves and you take care of them. This is that part of God's plan. The parents take care of the children and there comes a point where the children take care of the parents. I'm still waiting for one of my children to pay for when we go out to eat. I'm waiting for that. That transition hadn't quite happened, you know. Um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna order the whole right side of the menu when they do. No, I'm kidding. But that's not the, the point. Is it's just the way God's made this to care for each other practically, all right? So that's the second thing it points out to you. The third thing that happens when we care for physical, uh, our physical widows is that that is acceptable in the sight of God. Some translation says it's pleasing to God when we do that. Shouldn't this be motivation enough right there? The last thing he says. It's acceptable. It pleases God. He's like, yeah, that, he's just looking down and he's just smiling. Yes, that's exactly how it should be. All right, and, and, and this should be enough motivation. Also look at verse 16. We're going to go all the way to the end. Don't get your hopes up. We're going to come back in the middle too, okay? 
If any woman is a believer who has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened, so it may assist those who are widows indeed. Paul ends this section on widows by, again, teaching that the spiritual family, all right, the church is to help physical families to understand their responsibility to honor the widows in the physical family. Right? Now, just, people are thinking, and you're talking about all the specifics going through, well, how about this? And there's, yeah, there's all kinds of nuances to this. How about when uh, that widow, their family won't take care of her, and she's part of our body? Well, sorry, you're just out of luck, right? No, 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 and that wasn't Paul's heart here either. We'll see here part of what Paul's heart was later. That's not at all the, the heart here. It's just saying that if the family is there, it's their responsibility and they should take that responsibility, right? What does it say in verse 16? Why? So that the church won't be burdened, so they can assist those who, the widows who really need it, right? So if all in the biological family and all in the body of Christ work together, then the widows as a whole will be taken care of. That's his point here, okay? That's his point. That we, we gotta come alongside and help people see that's a responsibility. Now, here, here's a scary thing, all right? Not scary, but it's, it's sobering. Look at verse eight. But... If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow. That's pretty strong. Paul, you sure about that? Yeah. This speaks to those who would not be described, look at verse 7, as above reproach. Prescribe these things as well, so that you may be above reproach. And, and this is an exact opposite. See the but? But if someone chooses not to take care of their own household, they're not above reproach. An accusation can be made against them and the accusation would stick. They would not be above reproach. Uh, they're not living out, all right? The, 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 it, it's, this phrase here says, he has denied the faith. That's pretty strong. And what he means is their actions have denied or rejected what their faith in Christ would call them to do. Or another way to put it is they're not living out who they are in Christ. Because of who they are in Christ, this should be a thing that they would do, they would want to do. This is the natural thing for somebody who follows Christ to do. And he's saying, by, when we don't that, we're denying the faith. We're not living out our faith that would call us to care for our very own widows. Now look at the phrase, and is worse than an unbeliever. That seems even stronger. It's like Paul just keeps piling it on. I love, Paul is not politically correct, just in case you didn't know that. All right, this is clear. He's not really concerned about what anybody else thinks. He's just going to tell the truth. And he's telling Timothy, hey, this is true, and there's issues going on, and when somebody doesn't, it's worse than an unbeliever. And here's the thought. Even unbelievers understood the responsibility to care for their families. It was a societal norm. The society would just know to do that. And he said, when, when, you, when, you're, when you're do it, not doing this, you're acting like an unbeliever. An unbeliever would know better than that. You're worse than an unbeliever because you know better even from God's standard. And in our society today, it would serve as a great witness to unbelievers as we care for the widows in our families. Because I don't think the same societal norm is the norm. Some people get it in today's society, but some people don't. Some people just, I'm not gonna take care of them. They should have saved more. They should have put money away so they could take care of themselves when they're older. I've heard that said. I hope you're going, somebody would say that? Yeah, that's terrible, but some people said that. All right? 
And when we, as the body of Christ, encourage our families to take care of their widows, and we do that, what a testimony. Because it's not, it's not easy. Some of you are doing that. Some of you have done that. And it's hard. And our society would say, hey, don't do that because you, you, you don't deserve that. Let someone else take care of that. You don't do it at all. all right? Now, that doesn't mean we can't. There's, sometimes we need to put them in places with, that have better medical care that we cannot provide. I'm not saying that at all. all right? But some people just say, hey, I'm just getting rid of them. And that's what the world would tell us to do in some ways because it might be a burden on us. Heaven forbid that. It throws out Philippians 2, 3, and 4, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard others as more important than yourself. Don't merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. That's what God calls us to do. And that's the thought here. So when we don't, it, 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 we, we, we're worse than an unbeliever, but when we do, what a testimony to God's grace. So by God's grace, uh, we here as a spiritual family need to exhort our physical families, including my own, and we're about ready to get to this point, to honor widows in our families by providing for their physical needs. We're called to do this, and it honors God. And even Jesus did this. Think about this. On the cross, he's dying on the cross, if you remember this, in the end of the Gospel of John. And he looks down at the Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he said, Mary, behold your son. John, behold your mother. As he died, and we believe that Joseph was already, his dad wasn't around, Joseph was already gone. There was no one to care for his mother. And Jesus, as a good Jewish son would do, made sure his mom was taken care of. What I also want to consider the third thing as we, uh, we as a church are exhorted to do from this passage when it comes uh, to honoring widows. We are called to wisely honor widows. And this is the larger part of the passage here this morning, but we won't take too much more time on it. I just want to make sure we understand what does it, what's it teaching here. Look with me at verse 9. Here, make sure that comes up here. A widow is to be put on the list. All right? And, and remember, this passage clearly points to the, the, those widows who should receive priority when it comes to support. Not that widows don't... There's a, there's a, there, Paul's saying there's certain ones that de- deserve priority, right? A widow should be put on the list. There was a list. Now, some of us get uncomfortable as soon as they say list in church. But I can point to about three other passages in the New Testament that talk about a list, all right? There's a list here. They knew who they were, and they made sure they knew who they were, all right? And, and, they for, they, and, and this list was made up of widows the church had formally committed to support financially, all right? Um, and this was made up of the widows that were, were considered widows indeed. Back in verse 3, we might, or your translation say in need. Others say genuine widows, really widows, truly widows. That's the different translations out there, right? They were really widows, all right? And what qualified them to be widows indeed? All right, so I'm not going to go back early. I'll just tell you, here's what. They had to be left alone. No family to take care of them, verse 5. They do, demonstrated true faith in God with a phrase, has fixed her God, um, in verse 5. Had to be, in verse 9, 60 years old or over, all right? Verse 9, she was faithful to her husband. Says wife of one man, or one man, woman, all right? She was faithful to her husband. Had a reputation for good works in verse 10. And then it lists these good works, like if she brought up her children, if she had shown hospitality to strangers, if she had washed the saints' feet, if she had assisted those in distress, and if she had devoted herself to every good work. And as I said before, these are not the wooden qualifications today. Remember, Paul is dealing with a specific situation in Ephesus with, with its own unique challenges. Uh, it, it wasn't like, hey, 59 and a half, sorry. That was not the thought here at all. 
Um, could, could, could they have been married more than once? Because it says, oh, I, I, you know, faithful to her husband. Well, maybe her husband died, and she married again, right? Would that be a problem? No, because in verse 14, he's going he's to encourage the younger widows to marry again. So if they do that, then they've disqualified themselves from ever being on this list, right? No. No, you, you think through these kind of things, and it, it, it makes no sense. So it, it's, it, it's about specific things, as we're going to see here when we looked at the younger widows. Um, uh, did they have to have children? No, but if they had children, they, they needed to be a mother who took care of their children, right? Um, and as I mentioned before, if her family refused to step up, hey, the church should step in. Uh, the point was to make sure that widows who really needed help got help. That was the point here. The passage also seems to point to these widows on the list, list committing to say, or to, to stay widows for the rest of their life and using their gifts to serve the church in an official way, uh, just serving the church family. It, just, it, it seems to allude to that pretty strongly, that that's what they were going to do. This passage, passage, so that's the people who would be put on the list, all right? The, the widows put on the list. The passage also refers to widows who were not to be put on the list. And who were these widows? Look at verse 11, all right? But refuse to put younger widows on the list. So why refuse to put them on the list? Well, first of all, it protects them from sin, all right? Look at verses 11b um, there, all right, uh, through kind of 12. When, the, when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they set aside their previous pledge. It seems that some widows had been put on the list, which included a commitment to remain widows and serve the church in some way the rest of their lives. Then after making this commitment, they had second thoughts and set aside their previous pledge and possibly had inappropriate relationships with some of the false teachers as indicated by 2 Timothy 3, 6. For among them are those, these are talking about false teachers, who, uh, the, the, are, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions. And the thought here is the false teachers preyed upon these younger widows who had all these passions, who were all of these. They maybe wanted to get married again, which was not, we're going to see, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, they're going to be encouraged to. But they were, they were struggling, and any time after grief, Heard, I heard a guy I really respect, uh, a guy named Alistair Begg in, in Cleveland, Ohio, he's a pastor. He said, I encourage people when grief happens, wait 24 months before you make any kind of major decision. Now, that's not hard and fast. He's just saying, take your time before you make any kind of commitment when, you, when you're grieving. Because sometimes we make it out of emotion, don't we? And maybe some of these ladies had made it out of emotion. And now they're, they're, they're struggling with these actually godly desires, but they're maybe inappropriately using those godly desires for things that did not honor the Lord, and they're being sucked in by these false teachers who were taking advantage of them. Now, notice what else they were doing in verse 13, all right? At the same time, they learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, taking, talking about things not proper to mention. Now, now it, it, it seems, again, in the context of First and Second Timothy, uh, that this, this is speaking of, of, of the false doctrine that was being taught in Ephesus, the false teachers. There was possibly that, that these, they, they had been, they were susceptible, and these false teachers came teaching, and they were taking these as maybe part of their duty to the church as a widow on the list, to house to house to other women, and passing on these false doctrines. These things that aren't, aren't, that, that aren't proper to mention. 
And, and, and maybe they were um, just, it says gossips. It talks about busybodies. Maybe they were just passing some things on, you know, like in the form of a prayer request. Did you, do you know we ought to pray for sister so-and-so? She's really struggling with XYZ, which sister so-and-so never wanted anybody to know about XYZ. But now this person who's struggling with all these desires and what they're supposed to do is maybe passing that along in the form of a prayer request. We don't know exactly. That sometimes could happen. Um, but this is, this is what's happening. And, and notice what Paul says about some of these younger women in verse 15. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. Wow, it's strong. Some of them had been so duped, and maybe they tr- proved to be apostates themselves that really didn't ever really truly believe. They've been so led astray that now they're working on the wrong team. They're, they're following, or they're, they're just following the thing that Satan would want them to do, which keeps them away from sharing the true gospel. It doesn't, it's not clear for us there, but it's not what God would intend. Another reason we care for them, besides keeping them from sin, and we don't put them on the list, is, is, um, and we encourage uh, them to marry, is it protects the name of Christ. Right? Look at verse 14. It says, Give the enemy no occasion for reproach. Some translations say slander. It's, it's to speak in a highly insulting manner, to insult strongly. If these widows act in a way that was unfaithful, all right, shows unfaithfulness to Christ, it would give their enemies, the false teachers, ammunition to slander the church of Christ. And as followers of Jesus and part of the family of God, our life is not to bring slander to the name of Christ, but to lift up the name of Christ, to bring him glory in all that we do. Remember, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making his appeal through us. Well, instead of, instead of putting younger widows on the list, where they might be tempted to take advantage of the church's financial support and, and fall into these damaging practices, which seemed that's what was going on just from what we have here. Paul's addressing this. Look how Paul encourages the church to honor the younger widows in verse 14. I want, I want women, younger widows, to get married, bear children, and keep house. He, he wants them to get married. It's okay that they have a desire to get married. Encourage that. And if they're younger and they still get to be a blessing to their family and to others. So but we clearly see from this passage that when it comes to honoring widows, we're called to do it wisely. That's the biggest point here. Do it wisely. We want to do it wisely. And the main point that Paul is concerned with in these verses is to help Timothy and the church of Ephesus to determine which widow should receive priority in receiving support from the church. Now you see why we can't take this passage and say, take it over here and put Potter's house, care for widows. No, but there are truths and there's principles here that we should be applying right here at the Potter's house. But we can't, he was dealing with a specific problem and he had to set up these parameters to protect from those problems continue to damage the cause of Christ. I hope that makes sense. That's what this passage is about. So how can we respond to God's word this morning? Well, just remind us, we're called to honor widows. We're called to help families honor their widows. And we're called to wisely honor widows. And, and as the elders took a few minutes this Wednesday morning, over here in this back corner office um, at, at our elder meeting, at the beginning of our elder meeting, to talk about this passage together, we were all in agreement that we need to make sure here to have a plan to make sure that we are honoring the widows in our church. We, we need to have a plan. And, and, and it would 
key, it would be based on the timeless truths that are, that are here in this passage. That we're called to honor widows. We're called to help our body as a whole to honor their widows. And we're called to do it wisely. So we're going to be thinking about this. And we're going to be putting these principles into action. I think some of it happens naturally, but as our body grows, we want to make sure we don't miss anybody. We make sure that we're taking care of the widows here at the potter's house. And if you're a widow and you know a widow, I hope that encourages you. That we, we want to take God's word seriously and put it into action because God cares for widows. And as his people, we should as well. Would you join us, though, in honoring widows here and making sure we know what's going on with the widows so we can help in that way and honor the Lord, be a witness to our community? What a witness, as I mentioned before, in our world today that we would honor widows in a way that honors God and brings him glory. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for the practicality of it, even with some of the confusing language, the hard language that's in it that Paul uses. Lord, it's because you care for widows. You care for those who are at most risk and, and most vulnerable in our world, widows and orphans. Lord, I pray you give us your same heart, specifically here for widows, ladies who have lost their husbands, who need our help, whether they're young or old, would help us come alongside, help them honor you in all that they do. Lord, thank you again for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, I'd like you to stand with me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray another prayer for you in our, in our, as kind of our benediction, a blessing on you as I pray these, these words from God's word in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. May this be my prayer for you this morning. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.